Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is Beyond Electric Vehicles with my friend Tucker Perkins. Guys, you need to check this podcast out. I spoke to Tucker Perkins, who's the president and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council, or PERC for short. Tucker is a very smart and interesting guy. He's a trained engineer and very passionate about how are we going to solve some of the problems we have. We want to reduce greenhouse gases. We have to meet those sustainability goals, but we also know that we have energy needs. And he talked a lot about some of the challenges we have with going fully electric. We're not there yet. We know it's some of the answer, but it's not all of the answer. Tucker believes part of that future is going to involve propane. We're already using propane quite a bit. It's clean, it's affordable, it's abundant, and Tucker makes the case for propane, but he also just provided such a good education for me on some of the challenges and also some of the opportunities we have when it comes to a cleaner, greener future. But before we get to the podcast, I want to tell you about my friends at Tusk Logistics. That's T-U-S-K logistics.com. If you're a small parcel shipper, you can save 40% with Tusk. And the way you can save 40% is Tusk has a great technology and they've connected a whole bunch of regional small parcel carriers. These are carriers that have been in business for a long time and they're excellent service, better than the big guys in their region. But you could never use them because they were just regional. Tusk has connected these guys into a national network. You can save 40% and have better service. And in addition, you get Tusk's technology, which is top-notch, plus you get Tusk, uh, their customer support. Overall, you can't lose. You get better service than you're going to get from the big guys, and you get better technology than you get from the big guys, and the service, the delivery time is better than the big guys. 40% savings. Do it. TuskLogistics.com. And right at the top, it says, get started. Click on that button and get started and save 40%. So how's it going, Tucker? It's a great day. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to this conversation. I do, too. I do, too. We were talking before we hit record, and I'm very excited because you know a whole bunch of stuff that me and most of my audience know nothing about. So please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. So I'm calling today from Richmond, Virginia. Our office is in Washington, and I'm the president and CEO of a group that probably people don't realize exists, the Propane Education and Research Council. So we'll shorten that to PERC for the rest of our time, Joe. And what PERC PERC is officially a a checkoff program. So we take money from those that sell and produce propane in the U.S. and then redeploy it really into one of three areas. And each of those three areas is so important. I really don't ever prioritize. The first is safety and training, right? Make make not only industry safer, more trained, but also work with the consumers, people who touch propane, whether it's a industrial user, a business, or actually a homeowner to make sure they're using propane safely. It's installed properly. Safety and training is a big part of that. We have an active campaign around marketing to tell the story of why propane. I think if I had a specialty though, it's that third area that I really like to talk about, which is innovation. And really innovation, almost like a venture capitalist sometimes. We take and invest deeply in new technologies across a broad spectrum, agricultural, residential, commercial, industrial. We're at the center of a lot of power generation activity, a lot of transportation efforts that we'll talk about. And so, you know, in in that role, we really try to assess exactly, you know, not only what is the current state of really American, to your point, we're we're uniquely American. We we take a real worldwide view, but we are very specific to investing and benefiting Americans. But you know, what is what is the current conversation around climate? What are the gaps? And it really leads us to this odyssey of improving technology and improving the fuel. I would tell you that propane today is nothing like it was, you know, for our fathers' propane. And I'm pretty certain that propane in 10 years from now, just 10 years from now, 
will be this mix of conventional propane and renewable propane. So kind of, I keep three oars in that water, if you would, safety and training, consumer awareness, consumer education. But if I had a specialty, it's in market development. And I know we'll talk a lot about kind of that 3PL logistics world, but we're, we're, I'm equally able to talk about power gen or our homeowner or builder incentives. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to me. And we were talking about this before we hit record, how we've made this real quick switch to, we're going to have all electric, but most people, I'm in, I'm in Detroit. I spent most of my career in automotive. When I talk to my automotive friends, they don't all believe that we can get to electric very quickly or completely. Now we can, we've developed electric vehicles and I think we, most of us who are in the logistics and transportation space feel pretty comfortable. We could do that final mile, which might be from a warehouse or a Walmart to my house, right? Driving around the Detroit metro area because I can charge that car every day or that car or that, that small truck. We still believe right now that we're going to have to have the, some other source to move the middle mile from uh, Texas to Michigan or from California to New York, we're going to, we're going to need, we're going to need our traditional trucks to, to use the traditional fuels. Right. But it's coming up more and more that there are mandates from the government that we're going to have to do more and more for the greenhouse gases. And I know we'll cover some of this, but just because we've got an electric vehicle doesn't mean it might not have any emissions while it's driving, but the emissions to build it are significantly <laughs> higher than what we anticipate. So, and one other thing, and maybe you can help us on this is it feels like there's no nuance in any of this. You just have people who are not usually the scientists saying, we need to be all electric. We need to go wind, solar, and electric because that doesn't have any greenhouse gases. Let's just make the switch. But we don't even have the technologies to make all that work yet. Yeah, I find that this this is a conversation that I've really been deeply engaged in for, I don't know, the last five years at least. And, you know, as we've talked a little bit about, I don't think very many people understand even segments of it, much less the whole thing. That's me. Clearly, I do believe as a nation, maybe as a world, but a little bit less as a world, because we forget nearly a billion people don't even have access to electricity, right? Another near billion don't have access to reliable electricity. So, you know, what we think about and how we live our lives is far different than someone lives their life in sub-Saharan Africa, parts of Asia. But, you know, I think we, we're on this march to continuing to need electricity. It's kind of the, the core for our cell phones and for our, so for our telecom. And I do think there are portions that will certainly become more electrified of our lives, of our corporate lives, of our, even our industrial lives. But the notion that we're going to have all electrification and that all electrification is both good for the climate, good for health and affordable, it's probably a silly notion. And I think, you know, we can, we can decide what time frame we want, we're willing to settle for, what investment we're willing to invest, but we're really talking about now hundreds of trillions of dollars. And at least our work to this point says that to get to this utopia of renewable electricity, which generally means solar, wind, and hydroelectric, it's going to take a lot more energy storage than we have contemplated. And and just to back up, you and I are going to talk about propane to a degree. We're going to talk about low carbon fuels like propane and natural gas. You know, we, we haven't really had the discussion yet about nuclear. And I think for this this utopian society that relies on clean power, I think you're going to really have to talk about nuclear power sooner or later. It got a bad name with a few of those accidents, but I think we've come a long way since then. By the way, you hear Bill Gates, who I consider a pretty smart guy, and he often speaks of nuclear. So there's a lot of very smart people who've studied it. Um, they've studied that at the Gates Foundation and says, hey, we should spend on that. Right. But first, let's switch gears for a second, Tucker. So you told us a little bit about your company or your organization, which is, we'll just call the propane guys, right? Yeah, that's great. And tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you got to the to Perk. Well, as most people might tell from this uh, Southern accent, I live somewhere south of the Mason-Dixon. I live in Richmond, Virginia. I've spent most of my career here. 
even though for years I've run businesses in Texas and had an office there by you in Novi and really kind of started as an engineer, civil and mechanical engineer, really trained from Virginia Tech. Oh, nice. Yeah, eventually. Well, nice until we talk about basketball at the NCAA. Well, we can talk about our women's team right now, our our women's basketball. My Wolverines didn't make it to the tournament. We went to NIT and lost. There are a lot of us with heartbreaks, that story. Found my way into the natural gas industry, really designing pipelines, building pipelines, actually ran liquefied natural gas operations. It was really a fascinating part of my career. I needed to fulfill that civil engineering part that that I had always sparked. So I spent a little time building bridges and roads and pipelines and airports, but then found my way to get a master's degree in business from really a wonderful school here in Richmond, University of Richmond, and then really kind of put all that together in the propane industry first in a retail business that grew up to the, maybe the fourth largest in the country, sold that and started the smallest propane business in the country. Yeah. Just started again, just by myself and grew that up into a five or six state operation. was a manufacturer of auto gas equipment. So actually making trucks and off-road vehicles run on propane and the dispensing systems. And then finally, the last really 10 years have been kind of the capstone for me, which is putting it all together in this job at Perk. Very nice. Very nice. So I want to get some definitions from you because I don't know. So I'm going to ask all the dumb questions and hopefully my audience will will benefit somewhat from that. So I want you to explain to me, I know we, we, we said there's LNG, which is liquid, liquefied natural gas. I've heard of that. I've heard of compressed natural gas, which is CNG. And I worked for a a trucking company for a short time and they had some compressed natural gas or maybe it was liquefied natural gas, LNG or CNG. I forgot which one, (laughs) or maybe I never knew. And so there's CNG, compressed natural gas. And I think that those are both run trucks. Then obviously we use diesel, right? And I also know about electric, which, so where does propane fit in? So I know it's a gas. So explain to us, if you don't mind, in in very simple terms, because we're all laymen, the difference between propane, liquid natural gas, compressed natural gas. Well, natural gas, uh, we'll just start with natural gas. Is a gas. That's good. It's generally <laughs> found, you know, today in the U.S. by a fracking underground. We kind of find it in two or three primary spots of this country. We are the world's most prolific provider of natural gas by far. Is, is that because we're the best at getting out of the ground or because we're the, we have the most? Probably both. We saw early on the value of it and we were really the leaders in learning how to, how to frack the, the rock to create the natural gas. So and what is fracking? So fracking is really, so the actual term is hydraulic fracturing, which is where we will go in and drill down several thousand feet. And then we actually begin to drill horizontally. And as we drill, we, we insert at a fairly high pressure specific fluids that then crack the rocks. These rocks are full of natural gas, but we create those pores and fissures by hydraulically fracturing the rock. And then we have the devices there that the natural gas, when it's released, if you would, finds its way into a gathering system and flows through that network of pipes back up above. Is that just like a vacuum? Well, it's really pressure. It's more pressure driven by the pressures that these wells generate. Tremendous pressure down there. So, and again, without getting into great detail or, or, or any politics, you said something to me before we hit record. You said, well... There's all sorts of different fracking. Some fracking is better for the environment than others. And I think we've kind of gotten in this almost a binary place when it comes to this discussion. Electric, good. Fossil fuel, bad. Fracking, bad. Right. And and I know we've had, there's there's definitely been some real advantages to having fracking from a production perspective. <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't tend to join that chorus, but there is a chorus that says it was natural gas that really has made this country what it is today, right? First, actually, that chorus started with it was oil that made this country, what you know, access to affordable energy that was easily transported, and it really changed our standard of living. I think there's no question we can say that oil saved the whales. You know, the whales were being harvested yeah. for 
you know, they're blubbering for their energy. And it was oil that saved the whales. And a lot of, a lot of people talk about natural gas it was really the next iteration of a clean and abundant energy. And it's clean and, and abundant energy that drives our economy forward. And by the way, I think if you listen you know, not to be too geopolitical, but if you listen to the Chinese today, the Chinese are very clearly saying, yeah, we agree that a clean climate is important, but it doesn't take priority for us over having an affordable, reliable energy source to support our manufacturing. We're going to do that today. We'll get around to a clean energy source later. But to your point, to your original question, natural gas generally is found in the gaseous state. And most people know it because it finds its way into a pipeline. And then that pipeline, they, they transmit all over the country, all over the world to a degree. And someone turns on their stove in Detroit. That completes a connection that started somewhere probably in Texas. And, you know, there is a, a continuous pipeline from where that gas was found to that consumer's home outside of Detroit. That's natural gas. What people, so let's go to propane just for a moment. Propane tends to be found in association with natural gas. When you find natural gas, you have to clean it up. It might have some water in it. It might have some gasoline in it. It also has a lot of these other liquid carbon fuels like propane, ethane, butane that have all various purposes. But because we are such a prolific maker of natural gas, we are also the world's largest maker of propane by far. And that propane today is shipped to many parts of Asia, all of Central America, most of South America, relying on this American propane, and then large parts of even Europe. When you begin to think about compressed natural gas or liquefied natural gas, it's really just trying to take this gas and then putting it in a form where it doesn't necessarily have to be transported in a pipe. So compressed natural gas is just that. Natural gas compressed to very high pressures, maybe four, five, six thousand psi, and then stored in tanks and used at a high at a used at low pressure, but you have enough volume to do it. Liquefied natural gas goes one step further and chills natural gas down to minus two hundred and sixty degrees, we'll call it Fahrenheit, where it becomes a liquid. And there it's like natural gas, only it has a lot of energy density. That's why to a degree, trucks, transportation systems rely on either compressed natural gas. You see it often in transit buses in your city. They might have their roof, and you could see it if you knew what you were looking at. Their roof is a series of high-pressure tanks. That's compressed natural gas, always a gas, just under pressure, or sometimes liquefied natural gas, which is liquid, and then used as a vapor. And I think where whereas we will eventually start talking about transportation and I'm just back from meeting with Cummins engine company yesterday because Cummins is debuting the next series of engines one of which will feature propane propane is automatically easily stored as a liquid and then as an engine designer we can decide whether to use it as a liquid like diesel or gasoline or as a vapor like natural gas and it gives it gives us tremendous choices and advantages as we think about how to propel engines and, and make modern engines really efficient. So it's, I, I do like to say this, natural gas and propane are first cousins. One exception, propane doesn't include any methane. We don't contain any methane. Methane is a pretty horrific greenhouse gas if it escapes unburned. And again, not to be an apologist for the natural gas industry by any means, but I think, you know, all of us agree that unburned methane is a very bad thing reducing greenhouse gases is what we need to do. And the natural gas industry is taking quantum leaps in trying to contain methane. Even we as an industry, we'll talk about it later, we're taking quantum steps in capturing methane that previously couldn't be captured and now converting it to renewable propane. Those are, those are tools in our, in our bag of tricks that we didn't have five years ago, and now we're able to do it. So there's this tremendous migration from conventional fuels to uh, renewable fuels. Now, if I can, let me just add in one other thing. As you were talking about most, but we, the grid today, the electric grid is about 60%, 60% of the power in the U.S. today comes from burning coal, oil, or natural gas. 
sixty percent. So I call that clean electric. That clean electric energy that I get isn't clean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, and people say, "Well, I drive a Tesla." You know, I drive an emission-free vehicle, and the first thing I say is, "Well, it's emission-free, maybe at rest." It's certainly not emission-free in motion, and it's certainly not emission-free when you recharge it. And, you know, I think that this is a conversation. I use it all the time. You know, you can say what you want, but I and my children, we breathe the full equation, right? And I think it's, it's, an, it's an area, again, that I think generally has been a tremendous misinformation campaign is that, you know, using electricity Using electricity is beneficial for the climate because it's a, a zero emission game. That, that's not that's not at all true. I said to a uh, friend who has a Tesla, I was joking with him. I said, oh, you got one of those newfangled coal burning cars. <laughs> and they're like, and in Wyoming and in Kentucky and in West Virginia, that's a true statement. It really is. Yeah. And um, they, they said, what do you mean? I go, well, it's just the grid. Grid's not completely clean. But anyway, let's let's talk a little bit about the you've given us some education on propane, liquid, natural gas. So from a trucking perspective, well, let's just say from a logistics, because logistics is a lot more than just trucking. And I know we have a lot of forklifts in our business. And I know some of those are propane. I know we have a lot of drayage vehicles in the logistics business. A lot of those can use electric or some of these other gases, maybe. And and then we have the over the road and obviously we have final mile. So talk about some of the applications, the what we're doing now, what we can do. And and I know you're, you're an advocate for propane, but talk also about what, what makes sense for electric. Because I think there is going to be applications where we say this is best for one one power source versus another. Joe, absolutely. And and I, I guess you, you would say I'm an advocate for propane, but I'm always quick to say, I think the first thing, we're not going to sell a drop of propane. We're not going to sell one propane forklift. We really are advocating for clean energy. And we think about it really from how does propane enter this conversation? And I would have, you and I will have a materially different conversation than I would have with a farmer who's relying on pretty much diesel fuel, gasoline, or propane or or even uh, a builder who's thinking about whether to choose a heat pump or a furnace. But let's so and I, I love talking start about starting with transportation because I mean one, I think the the current fuel is diesel fuel. And diesel fuel has been what we all relied on for decades. And I think we were guilty, even as an industry, propane industry, of being so respectful of class eight engines and diesel fuel that we are very late to the party in thinking about alternative class eight solutions. We focused. And class eight's the big rigs. Totally right. Class eight would be that, you know, heavy duty. (laughs) It's all changing, right? But still today, those guys that start in California and need to get to the East Coast, they really don't have a choice but to use diesel fuel today. And diesel fuel, you know, now the regulations have just recently become much clearer around 2027 standards. And I will tell you, diesel fuel has clearly got a problem in meeting the 2027 emission standard. So we have labored for a long time in the class four, five, six, seven. So think about those trucks that deliver flowers and freight and bread and mail. So are those sprinter vans and box trucks, those kind of things? Absolutely. All of those goods and services that kind of range from let's just call it pretty heavy pickups all the way up to everything short of a single axle tractor. That would be what we have worked on. And, and we have, I won't say perfected, but we have nearly perfected really an alternative to diesel fuel there. Very efficient. Almost now with Cummins, we actually have the same thermal efficiency as diesel. If you'd asked me five years ago, was that possible? I would have said, no, we cut NOx emissions 94 to 98%, depending on whose technology. And with this next engine that Cummins brings to the market. Well, you said NOx. What is NOx? Is that just greenhouse gases? No, NOx is not greenhouse gases. So let's have a let's have a quick little primer on that. The world is focused on climate change, and climate change is mainly driven by greenhouse gases. CO2, CO, that that that's all about the climate. I, for one, am much more driven about human and plant health. So, which is, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, but 
75, 80% of the children in the LA basin have some kind of a breathing problem, chronic asthma, uh, COPD. Yeah, they got that smog. Their, their weather doesn't get rid of all that pollution. You, you see it in smog, but we see it through medical reports about childhood asthma, bronchitis, and later in adult COPD. For me, I am never going to be out of balance between climate and health because to me, to me, climate is certainly critical and we're doing what we should be doing about it, but it's a long-term game. Health is a near-term issue, right? And, and so you'll hear, sorry, I, I didn't mean to go there so fast without thinking about maybe you knew I was talking about, but for me, I, I'm actually in the trifecta of climate, health, and then affordability, however you want to address that. So in, as we think about replacing diesel fuel with a more modern fuel, I'm certain that we're going to have two or three options. Battery electric is a choice for those fleets that don't have range problems, perhaps don't have payload problems because batteries weigh a lot more than a traditional gasoline or diesel or propane system. So it impacts payload. We we would have to change how much a truck could carry, either either increase it so they can be heavier or just less payload, right? And I, it, yeah, the answer to that question is yes. And, you know, I said I started by saying I started my career as a civil engineer. Uh, part of my career was designing roads and building roads. And, you know, the minute so a lot of people will say, well, let's just casually change how much trucks can weigh. And it it's not nearly that simple. You live in a place, Michigan, where your truckers well understand weight limits and axle loadings. And by the way, where I live, we have absolutely a Michigan and we're not the only one in the Midwest. We have absolutely horrific roads because you have horrific weather right. that impact your roads. We have, we have two things. We have a lot of industry here. So we have a lot of heavy trucks and some heavy truck traffic. Plus we have weather. So like on a day like today, it could warm up and all the snow or rain gets in the cracks of the, of the uh, streets and, and the roads. And then, at night it freezes and everything so we have potholes that are ridiculous so so you and i could talk for hours about freeze thaw cycles and road limits but at least at least now what we i'd say is yes battery electric vehicles will be a solution but it's a relatively limited pool of candidates because they have to have the right payload the right you would need new roads new roads <laughs> and and they need to be able to afford it i'm just back from a truck show and you know the numbers are kind of staggering this this electric truck with its limited range, limited payload can be three times the cost of a propane truck. And so, you know, later we'll talk about drayage. Drayage is horrifically price sensitive, cost sensitive, right? No one benefits from having, everyone benefits from having cleaner drayage trucks, but no one benefits from having significantly added expense into that section. So we have really labored hard to bring propane as a fuel. We have the same power, if not more than diesel. Now we have the same fuel economy. We actually have quieter engines. We've cut NOx emissions nearly to zero. Particulate matter, I didn't talk about that earlier. Particulate matter is a carcinogen. So we, we eliminate that. So a great opportunity to think about this newer fuel from propane. Actually, actually, the transition is really from propane, excuse me, from diesel to gasoline, gasoline to propane, sometimes natural gas, sometimes battery. And one day we'll talk a little bit about hydrogen. So in transportation, that's kind of the, the menu of options. But we currently see today class four, five, six, seven vehicles. I feel strongly most of them should be running on propane. A few should be running on electric. And I love to look at fleets like UPS is a great example. UPS probably adopts an all of the above strategy, right? UPS runs a lot of electric trucks and it makes sense for them in Manhattan. Leaves the depot, goes 13 miles, parks in Manhattan, unloads almost all day, 13 miles back to the depot. What a perfect use for electricity. Doesn't apply at all to UPS in Denver as they go 60 miles here, 50 miles over there. You know, their trucks can be driving several hundred miles a day, heavy payload, perfect opportunity for them to use propane. And oddly, in those two states I just picked, if you think about the makeup of the electric grid, that UPS truck today relying on conventional propane 
is about the same carbon footprint as an electric truck in New York. Ah, nice. So you mentioned, get back to that trifecta you mentioned. You said, what is the trifecta that you're looking so at? For me, the trifecta is always attention to the climate, attention to human health. Yep. And then the third is really, I'm going to call it with you, affordability. A lot of environmental lot, you know, terms would be much more around environmental equity and justice, which kind of brings in who pays for these solutions, who benefits from these solutions, how does it impact society? And Joe, you know, five years ago, I was woefully unprepared to even talk about what environmental justice meant or environmental equity. And today, it's arguably one of my favorite subjects to talk about because I think that I find that that is, again, sorry for me to say this, sometimes almost a myth that's being perpetuated that the migration to an electric world needs to happen because of environmental justice, right? Those people who are least able to impact it are most affected. And I say again, going back to that Tesla driver, I drive an emission-free vehicle. Look how good I am for the environment. No, sir, you, you move your emissions from your neighborhood or your home back to the power plant. Who is, in fact, most impacted by the emissions of the power plant? It is truly those who are least able to change their environmental situation. Those people who, because of whatever reason, live next door to the power plant. And so it, it's right. a topic for me that again, I think most business owners, it doesn't play out. It, it might play out for them because they're generally civic minded and care about their community. But it, it is, to me, it's an area that I think moving and keeping low carbon fuels in focus is important. Now, let me just say one other thing. You said it earlier, and I needed to comment. I usually try to push over it. There is this view that local that carbon fuels are bad, fossil fuels are bad, and electricity is evil. I mean, it's good, right? And it to me, it's strange, and I say it all the time. This isn't a binary choice. It's not right. good evil, right? Coal, oil, and wood. We, we, we all want simple solutions. So just tell me what's good, tell me what's bad. <laughs> but it's interesting to me that coal, oil, and wood, everyone can recognize they are bad. But electricity produced from coal, oil, or wood is suddenly good. I mean, it's, it's, and I think that's why the nuances of this conversation have to be taken up about three notches because it's not that simple. And, and there is clearly a role, clearly a role for low carbon fuels like propane or natural gas with a path to renewable zero carbon fuels like renewable natural gas and renewable propane. Yep. Before we leave the EVs, before we hit record, I was talking about this and I've quoted it before, but I'll say it again is according to benchmark material intelligence estimates that at least 384 new mines for graphite, lithium, nickel, and cobalt will be required to meet electric vehicle demand by 2035, 384 mines. Now, when we think of a mind, usually that's, I think most environmentalists would say, Oh, mines are bad. Opening one mine. And by the way, if uh, wherever <laughs> wherever you're listening, envision them saying, we're opening a mine a few miles away. <laughs> and, and the noise, and they're going to dig a gigantic hole. And basically, you've all seen mines, tons of trucks driving around, pushing stuff around. It's uh, it, it, it's obviously disturbs a lot of natural environment, but I got to think the greenhouse gases of mines are significant also. There's a reason we haven't mined a lot in the U.S., and it's really more about labor and, and an attention to things that really matter, water resources, uh, land use resources. And, and I think for, for us to change that, for us to change that, it's foolish for us to think that those concerns are going to change anytime soon. Right. I would also say that, uh, and I'm not an expert in any of this by any stretch, but when I understand a lot of the rare, rarer minerals needed for electric vehicles are in China and in Russia, obviously places we can't easily get that material from. So we have a, we have a problem with electric vehicles becoming the entire answer overnight or even ever. And so I think we need to start looking at some of these other, other, and by the way, I mentioned to you, and I know where this is off topic, but I talked to Paul Gross. I saw him at Manifest. He's the CEO over at Remora. 
Remora is actually in my backyard. They're here in Michigan and they are doing carbon capture. I've talked to them once before. And so they go on the back of a tailpipe and they capture the carbon and then they liquefy it and you can sell it. So it pays for itself. Now that means you're, you are taking on a little extra weight because you're, you're capturing something and liquefying it. So that's another solution, but you're also going to get additional weight. But if somebody told you right now we can drive our trucks using existing technologies and capture all the carbon, I think that's a big win. Because some of these other things we're talking about, not so much propane or the natural gas part, but the electric vehicles, the wind, the solar, these are technologies that we're still working on and are far from, we don't have the technology to have them be the answer yet. Yeah, I'm quick to say, I think the battery of tomorrow does not look at all like the battery of today. In fact, I try to spend as much time as I can in the national labs and some private labs understanding it. And I'm convinced that the battery of tomorrow is not even in those labs of today, particularly as we think about mobile batteries, batteries that can be on trucks or forklifts or ships. I just want my damn phone not to lose the battery power. Can you fix that first? Right. So I do I do want to spend a little bit of time because I know your listeners are really logistics heavy. And I want to talk a little bit about we talked about transportation and I am excited about this Cummins engine. It's is I'm quick to say it's the next step forward in modern Is it is it cheaper than uh, to run diesel? significantly cheaper now not because of the engine although the engine is at parity tends to be at parity with diesel but what's happened diesel fuel has become fairly expensive propane really because of its domestic nature has remained relatively stable certainly compared to diesel or gasoline so where for years and years we'd say the cost of operating a propane vehicle would be 50% the cost per mile of operating a diesel vehicle the last 50, 50%. 50%. So you can call, you can operate your propane vehicle at half the cost of your diesel. So vehicle. why aren't we already doing this? Yeah, I question that every day and I think part of it is just about one how deeply momentum inertia, in. yeah. Every brand has a great diesel engine. I mean diesel has just been you know, How much it, investment in new engines? I mean, is this because is the next generation of engines or is this technology that we can turn on tomorrow? Well, these next, this next generation of engine is really exciting. So Cummins investment in that, you'd have to look in their books to confirm all this, but it's well north of $100 million as we think about this propane engine. We ourselves have invested in it with Cummins, but it's really exciting. And, and again, while I applaud Cummins for taking the lead and moving to the next generation, you know, the technology is there for other engine providers to use. And we'll so see. I got to think that I think, I think people are going to adopt that pretty quick if they say I can drive this for 50 percent of the cost of diesel. And you leave out this more important part of it as we think about this world obsessed with am I as clean as I can be? Am I cleaner than my competitors? Are my vehicles quieter and better for my employees? So therefore, I, it is no longer it's something that I can use to attract employees. And the answer, the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Cut, as I said. I just saw Matt McClellan. I saw him first at Manifest, then I saw him in Portland. He was visiting some truck. He, Matt works at Covenant Trucking Company. And he was out visiting the, uh, some of the trucking companies out in Portland. And I had a drink with him. And we were talking about this. And one of the th- challenges is he was just saying is that we still don't seem to have an answer for that middle mile for that long way. But it seems like propane is already almost there. Yeah, we really do. It's, it, it struggles me, and we're in conversations now as we think about taking this engine into the truck OEMs, and we're having these conversations. And it is frustrating because the truck builders you know, are trying to find battery electric solutions, hydrogen solutions, trying to refine their diesel solutions, make sure their cabs and you know the man-machine interface in their cabs is state-of-the-art. It, they're in a tremendously turbulent time, yet what stands in front of them is this modern engine, durable like diesel, fuel efficient like diesel, cleaner in every respect, less expensive in every respect, literally can transform a company that chooses it. Yeah. Now, let me, I want to get there before we go too far. Let's, I want to talk about material handling because as you correctly said, in forklifts, you know, propane, you, it's really a world where it's been two fuels, right? The lighter duty forklifts use, elect, use electricity. The heavier forklifts, the ones that run high shift counts, perhaps move heavy loads, they've been propane. And 
give or take 95% of those internal combustion forklifts are propane powered. We're now on a kick to take that same engine technology and transform that last 5%, those forklifts that use diesel. It's time for us to change them out. Because what we do here, and particularly we hear it from the marine ports, but it's appropriate for the inland ports too, right? We're under, we're, we're right here in these communities, these seaside communities. It doesn't matter whether they're talking about Miami or Houston or Long Beach or Seattle or Baltimore. I mean, they're all the same, right? They're right in there wedged in with the people. And the people are like, I need you to be as clean as possible. And we have this opportunity. (laughs) We have this opportunity to rethink diesel fuel and go to this cleaner fuel. And it's right in front of us. The port of Newark, New York, made an exciting announcement the other day that they'd been demonstrating some of their propane powered terminal tractors. And they said, This will be what we use from now on. This will be our standard fuel into the port of Newark because it's cost effective. It's so clean and it really serves their purposes. And so, you know, we're, we're now kind of focused, laser focused, if you will, on transportation and material handling as we think about really moving this next generation of engines and this next generation of fuel. The Pacific Northwest will start using renewable propane in place of conventional propane today, zero carbon renewable propane. They, it makes sense for them economically today. Is this something that we'll have for a good long time? Or are we going to run out of pro- propane anytime soon? No, we will, I, don't, I think it's safe to say, I don't want to say never because, you know, but again, my time horizon really right now is up to about 2050. I think we see the world pretty clear from now till 2050. Uh, what happens after 2050, we'll have to start talking about maybe in 2030, but never run out of propane, never run out of natural gas still need to create new streams, renewable natural gas, renewable propane. Let me ask this and again. I'm, I'm, I know uh, we use fracking for some of this, but not all of it necessarily. Is that fracking an environmental problem that we have to concern ourselves with? So that, that I think that's a very loaded question, and I love to answer it directly. <laughs> fracking, people who frack need to be very careful how they do it, how they enter the land, how they insert these fluids. And I think the science is pretty clear when they do it correctly and they do it carefully, there's no, there's no environmental concern at all. Uh, And I'm proud to say that I think the American industry does it right. And we, you read these reports about, you know, this event in Pittsburgh or that event somewhere. And sometimes that could have been something could have been done better. But as we look particularly to other countries, I'm not so sure because I'm not there to see their drilling rigs, but I'm not there to talk to their executives to see, you know, just what are your processes for proper fracking? I I would say I'm proud of the, the fact how the U.S. natural gas industry has accepted responsibility to frack responsibly, to contain methane where they can, and to find ways to contain it even more than they thought they can. Right. So it seems to me, and we, again, the topic being uh, beyond electric vehicles, we have existing technologies and emerging technologies uh, that we understand far better than we do, well, I shouldn't say far better, that seem like they're going to be very viable options clean options, affordable options. So when we think that soon everything's going to be electric, probably not, because I think what you're if what you're saying is all true, and I believe it is, it's going to be accepted as, hey, this is cleaner. This is more affordable. This is something we fully understand. Let's do this. <laughs> A migration to all electric is tends to be, I hate to use the word, but I'm going to use it for a second, a bit of a pipe dream because we all see today, no matter where we live, we all see today that at periods of peak demand, hot days in the summer, cold days in the winter, you see your utility universally now saying, wait, I need you to conserve, right? Demand is a problem. We saw it in the area between you and me just recently, that grid interconnect called the PJM, where they're like, you know, you must conserve. And by the way, if we don't do something different between now and 2030 in terms of either using less or producing more, there's, there is a reckoning coming. So as we think about these energy intensive solutions for shipping, for logistics, to think that more electrification is the solution, we're not ready for that. It, it may be a great idea in 2100, but 
we're not we're not the technology hasn't caught up yet and we we sit on top of we we talk about it all the time we have an opportunity to reduce carbon emissions now now we're not to wait a decade two decades and do it in a way that that shippers can afford it and shippers can decarbonize now and that that's really where we spend all our time talking and by the way shippers are increasingly asking for it the reason you know I mentioned Matt McClellan. Matt McClellan works for a very large trucking company, Covenant. And when he was on my podcast, he mentioned that he talked to their top 10 clients. And these would all be very recognized names. Each one of these shippers said, what we want from you is a more sustainable solution. And and so I think think at some point, we're going to start seeing more and more companies with solutions that might not be electric, but going to be you know, along these lines that we've talked about with propane or other technologies that are greener. And again, the, it's not so bad if it's also saves you a little bit of money on that cost per mile either. And Joe, I know you're trying to wrap up and I'm going to let you, but I'll say we're back from two really important shows, uh, a leading show for port users around the country and to a degree around maybe this hemisphere and then a, the, the opening truck show of the year. And what we heard at both of those shows was a fundamental change in attitude. For two or three years, I need to explore more about electrification. I need to explore more about hydrogen. And this year, what we heard from everybody is, you know, I explored those things. I can't afford it. My utility can't provide me adequate electricity. Hydrogen's neither as green or as cheap as I hoped it would be. What do you have for me as a solution? And we're really excited because I think in my work with people around the world, right, not just in the U.S., but people around the world, there is this great opportunity for efficient engines with low carbon fuels on a path to zero carbon fuels, perhaps hybrid applications. We haven't even talked about that much, but you know, I'm getting, I'm going to start a one week project with a worldwide group, just looking at technology around hybrids. We have an opportunity to, to reduce carbon emissions today, but do it in a way that's beneficial to the supply chain, making it more robust, more reliable, and cutting their costs. And as everybody understands that we can cut the cost of supply chains, that makes those companies financially stronger. It makes the chains stronger and it gives us packages at a lower price. And that's, it couldn't be, it couldn't be a simpler goal. Excellent. Excellent. So why don't you wrap this up by saying where we, where you see us using propane in the near future. And then how, how do we reach out and talk to you guys if we want to learn more about what you guys are doing with propane? Thanks. And if, if uh, some others ask me this question, I might have a broader answer. But for you, as we really are narrowly thinking around logistics, I would say we should be using propane to replace diesel fuel in any application where there is a propane option today. That's transportation. That is material handling, off-road uses. And then for us, largely, we, we're... It's amazing how much power generation we are providing now to utilities, to companies, as they think about having a more reliable grid or even cutting the emissions of their own power supply. A lot of them are choosing to do it with propane today. And I couldn't have guessed, I couldn't have dreamed five years ago how we would be doing it. But the simple answer, anywhere you're using diesel fuel, you need to call someone or come to our website. Maybe that's a good place to plug our website. <laughs> but to come to our website and say, how could I use propane in lieu of this fuel to cut my emissions, to cut my cost, and to improve my environmental footprint? So we spend a lot of time on a website. We work hard to make it useful to a variety of people. That website for us is propane.com. There's an environmental area. I'll put, I'll put a link to your website and also to your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out and talk to you. It This has been quite an education because I do feel like uh, we talked for an hour the other day and it was just kind of a revelation to me because I, I've just been kind of questioning. I, I hear what I hear about electric saying it's not the technology and the production and all that isn't advancing as quickly as we think it can and should. And And then you tell me, hey, we can do this pretty quick. We're doing it already. And it's, it's, why aren't we considering this? We're going to all rely on electricity. To think we're going to be free of electricity is laughable, right? We're, we're all inherently reliant on electricity production. 
the, the way that we need to think about it is how do we supplement that? And we need to not be delusional about that electricity is forever, you know, ever, forever enough quantity, forever clean enough, forever affordable enough, and always there. So, you know, we talk often about a wide path to a cleaner climate. And it should be all of the choices. You, we haven't talked. I like at all that. About that's hybrid. better than a narrow. That's better than a narrow choice. <laughs> a narrow. Path. We we talk a lot about you know there is no silver bullet. There's only silver buckshot. So you and I, I think you and I could spend days and weeks talking about it because it is complex. But just to be very clear for your listeners, as they think about ways to clean up their own transportation needs, to clean up their own off-road transportation needs for logistics, whether it's port tractors or material handling, or power gen in their own situation, I do hope they'll come to propane.com and just see how propane works for them. Propane today, renewable propane tomorrow. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. And again, this was quite an education. It's like drinking from a fire hose, but I think the big message that I take away is next time somebody starts talking about, well, we need to do this for sustainability and all they're talking about is electric or windmills or some or wind gets propane into that conversation because it, it seems like a very and again what i love about it is this is not new technology for us this is not this is not we have to invent it on the fly nope we get it we already do it yeah one of the lovely things is we don't have to create new infrastructures or they're not entirely new systems right i would say it's brand new technology but it fits very nicely into the old school systems we have yeah it's love it's, it's a lovely story Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. And again, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes. And Tucker, I can't thank you enough. Absolute pleasure, Joe. I look forward to talking with you again. Excellent. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.